There's an order even to what we've been focusing on these last weeks, and that is evangelism. We've been talking about you finding a couple of people or finding your one, the person that you're striving to bring to Christ, praying for that opportunity. We've told you how to share Christ with others. We've talked about a lot of things about what it means to be evangelistic, but what we haven't talked about is what we're going to talk about this morning. That is what to do after someone comes to Christ. Someone you've led someone to Christ, what do I do after that moment? This is really important, especially this week, because let me remind you of a very important thing happening next week. I'm going to just say this, and then you can take it where you need to. Next week, I'm not preaching for you. I'll be here, and I'll be preaching, but I'm not preaching for you. Next week is the week that you, we've asked you to bring your one, that is the one person that you've been praying to see come to Christ. We'll be sharing a very vivid explanation of the gospel so that they can then respond to the gospel. We're praying that many will come to know Christ next week. But let's imagine, let's just imagine that the person that you bring next week or the person you share the gospel with this week becomes a Christian. What do you do next with them? Well, we know that you're to make disciples. When Jesus was given kind of his last statement before his ascension, he told them to go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. That is kind of a two-angle situation. We're to lead them to Christ. That is represented by baptism. Now, baptism doesn't save you. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But we want to make sure that they come to know Christ. They step across the line of faith. Then teaching them to observe all that I have commanded tells us that we are to journey with them as they grow spiritually toward maturity. All of us were born as spiritual babes with a need to become spiritually mature and become as much as we can like Christ. Now, we'll never be like Christ. We can grow more and more to Christ's likeness. So it's vital that when someone comes to Christ, that we help them on that journey. The first thing you need to realize is this. When you lead someone to Christ, you've just taken on a parenting role. They are spiritual babies. Paul wrote, speaking to the church in Thessalonica, new believers, he wrote, For you know how, like a father with his children, he says, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and into his glory. In essence, he's saying, hey, because you came to Christ under my direction, you are a spiritual babe and I'm going to parent you. He also gives us the two things he does or two of, two of the things he does as he begins to parent them. And it says that he exhorted them, which means to urge them to take action. Please hear this. When someone comes to Christ, our goal is not to get them to come to church so they can sit. Our goal is to get them to know Christ so that they can journey with Christ and serve Christ and do what it takes to know more about Christ. So this is the first thing we want to exhort them, then encourage them, and that is to come alongside them and encourage them. Now, how many of you all ever helped a child learn how to ride a bicycle? Would you raise your hand? Wasn't that fun? You remember how that deal works? You're holding onto the seat and you're running alongside them. And then they don't know it, but you let go. Right? And they fall down. You remember that? And they're screaming and hollering and kicking and going crazy. You say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, son. It's okay. It's okay. Let's get up and try it again. And they know you're going to make them hurt. But you hold that seat again. You run alongside them. And you, they fall down again. You encourage them. Because they're not ready yet to be on their own riding the bicycle. It's the same way as we're growing people in Christ. we got to remember that they are babes. Now, some of y'all are saying to yourselves, man, I'm not ready for that. 
We're going to talk more about that in just a few minutes, but do you remember when you were handed, guys in the room, gals, you were probably thinking about something else, but if you were in the, in the birth room and they handed you that baby when it was born, your first child, when I remember that so vividly, you know, you probably, you probably think what would be going through my mind was, oh, Julie, you're so wonderful. Or God, how can anybody doubt you exist? Or what in the world has just happened. This is the greatest miracle on planet Earth. That's not what was going through my mind. What was going through my mind was, holy crap, this is going to be an adult someday. And I'm responsible to make sure he knows what he's doing. Right? That's kind of where I was living. My primary responsibility was to raise him to maturity, and I was certain that I was incapable. And so I did everything I could to learn from others. I did everything I could to read any book I could. If there was one out there I had time to read, I was asking questions of my parents and Julie's mom because she was a nurse and had you know, done all that stuff. And we were learning from how we could because we didn't know what we, could, what we should do. But here's the deal. Each of us has this responsibility of parenting, and it's a non-option. The moment that I was handed that boy, I couldn't say, I'm not capable. He's on his own. I had birthed him, and I had a responsibility for him. So if we've got that responsibility, what does it look like? I'm going to give you a few points to think about. First of all, worship and group with them. Worship and group with them. Listen, immediately after the church was birthed, the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. Peter preaches, and 3,000 people come to Christ. You're thinking to yourself, what did these new believers do? What, was, what were they about? Because obviously they were growing in Christ because they changed the world. Here's what uh, part of the passage in Acts 2.42 says. Day and day, attending the temple together, listen, attending the temple, coming into large worship like we do on Sunday, coming together in a large group, and breaking bread in their homes, small groups. What you guys have here is Sunday school and community groups. So they were in big worship, as we tell children. And they were also in homes meeting. Their small group, their Sunday school class, or your community groups. That's what they were doing. You need to take them with you when you come into big church and when you go into your Sunday school class or your small group. Now, I want to say something to you. Not too many decades ago, and this changes. Preachers always change their philosophies, it seems, by decade, it seems like. Not so long ago, when I was a kid, pastors would make this kind of a statement. Listen, folks, if you don't have time but for one thing on Sunday, let me throw the pause button on just for a moment. Unless you work and you say you don't have time for two things on Sunday, go look at your priority list. Let me just be real honest with you as a pastor. When I speak to people who say, I don't have time for this, or I don't have time for that, or I don't have time to have time with God, the same people are telling me about watching five hours of football, same people tell me about going to this place and that place and doing this thing and making that trip. If we're not careful, it's not a question of time, it's a question of priority. So I would just say to you, you need to have time. But oftentimes the pastors would say, if you've only got time for worship or a small group or Sunday school, then I want you to go to Sunday school or small group. And then there are, the next decade, what they were saying was this, if you've just got time for one of those two things, I want you to be in worship because we work hard, hard, hard to make worship an incredible experience, and I can promise you I'm going to preach the Word of God. And let me tell you why I'm not on, on that team, on either one of those teams. Because Scripture says that we attend worship and we're in a small group. It would be for me to train you in disobedience to say for you to choose one or the other. But more importantly, it's this fact. 
For us to grow in Christ, we need to be in both of those experiences. In the small group, we get to discuss the scripture, ask questions, really relate to one another closely. In the large group, we get teaching that we know has come from a source that spent a lot of time in the Word and is going to give us really focused attention and sometimes challenge us. So we need both of those experiences. Now, don't get me wrong. They're both important. None's more important than the other. But please hear me. As best you can, make it a priority to be in a Sunday school class or a small group and in worship. Now, I'm talking to you right now, but I want to say this to you. It's really vitally important if you lead someone to Christ because you need to bring them with you. You need to tell them, I'll meet you at the door at this particular time. I'll sit with you at this particular place. I'll introduce you to the people that I know so they feel comfortable. So that's the first point. You need, when you have a new believer, to engage them in worship, large church, and in a small group. The second thing is this. Direct them to baptism slash church membership. Now, I want you to notice that I didn't differentiate between those two. I didn't act like they were two different things. And in a moment, you can understand why that is true. Listen, when someone is saved, their first act of obedience is baptism. Let me say that again. When someone is saved, their first act of obedience is baptism. If you've heard me share how to come to Christ in these services, if you've been here while I've been here, in almost every instance I say it's realizing Jesus is the Son of God, died, resurrected from the dead, believing that, and then as best I possibly can, living a life that honors God. Well, the first act of obedience, because obedience is what brings honor to God, the first act of obedience is to be baptized. Why is that so important? Romans 10 says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Did you capture that? Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God, you can be saved. Now, don't lose me right now. As I'm about to make a statement or two, if you're not listening, you may think Rick is saying that baptism is necessary for salvation. I am not saying that. But it is very, very important for your Christian journey. Now, let's imagine that we understand, first of all, let's imagine somebody gets saved and you're talking about being baptized. We can say it's that big word. We can say it's a sacrament of the church. We could say that. We can say everybody else did it. We could say that. It'd be better to say because Jesus saves you, saved you, and because he loved you, and because he died for you, and because now you're in relationship with him, you get baptized. Listen, church, if every church in the country can come to realize it's when we're in this place together and we talk about being together, we're not an organization, rather we're a group of people in love with Jesus, that there's a relationship that's more important than the organization, we'll change the world. It's about knowing someone and not being involved in an organization. And we need to help people understand that that's what it's about. If I'm in relationship with someone, then I want to be sure that I honor them. Now, when a lady gets married, she puts on a ring, right? That ring doesn't make her married. Uh, no more than baptism makes you a Christian. But it serves as a sign that she is married. I'm certain that a wife who refused to wear her ring would insult the man that she married, especially if he paid big bucks for it, for sure. But listen, the ring is more than a piece of jewelry. It represents an institution and a covenant. Like the ring is a sign of marriage, baptism is a sign of our covenant with God. Or uh, let's imagine that we don't take into mind that it's important to honor God through baptism. Now, the idea of being a baptized believer 
is that someone has been saved and then publicly declaring that they've become a follower of Christ. It's publicly declaring this. Listen, we'd think it pretty weird if a husband never wanted to go out in public with his wife, wouldn't we? He might say, I'll eat dinner with you, but I'll never go out in public with you. Or I'll watch a movie with you as long as it's at home. Or I'll talk to you as long as we're just talking someplace where nobody can see us. Wouldn't that kind of behavior be an insult? Oh, no, at your house, it would be worse than an insult. I think Jesus Christ is probably consistently insulted when someone says, I'll be saved and let you take me to heaven, but not publicly show that I love you. We need to let people know. Listen, when someone is truly saved, they want to follow in obedience. And the first act of obedience is to be baptized in the presence of the church they choose to become a member of. I want to I see if I can straighten something out with church membership. I, I haven't read your Constitution and bylaws, this aspect of it. So if I'm contradicting your Constitution and bylaws, just know this. Your Constitution and bylaws contradict the Bible. Isn't that good news? The last group laughed. I think you're concerned that I made that statement. So here's the deal. You are not walked down an aisle into church membership. You are not card-signed although you do sign a card when you come forward for church membership. Because the scriptures say this, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. We were all baptized into one body. The document that you all have chosen to use as as part of your doctrinal guide is the Baptist Faith and Message. And here's what it says. Christian baptism is the immersion of a believer in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is an act of obedience symbolizing the believer's faith in a crucified, buried, and risen Savior. The believer's death to sin, the burial of the old life, and the resurrection to walk in newness of life in Christ Jesus. It is a testimony to his faith in the final resurrection of the dead being a church ordinance. It is a prerequisite... Did you catch that? It is a prerequisite to the privileges of church membership and to the Lord's Supper. Baptism is no small thing. So if you lead someone to Christ or a friend comes to Christ here, you want to first of all guide them toward baptism. The third thing is this. Be available for them and guide them wisely. Be available for them and guide them wisely. Now, I mentioned that when people are becoming new Christians, they're spiritual infants. And here's kind of the, um, uh, the characteristics of a spiritual infant. First of all, it's ignorance. They don't know much about the biblical truth. They just don't know much about the Bible. There's confusion. They don't know how to replace the old familiar habits with the habits and attitudes of a disciple. They haven't learned that yet. So they're going to do some strange things or try some strange things. And then there's dependence. They cannot accomplish growth alone any more than a baby can feed and care for itself. They need you to journey alongside them. So they need these three things in my opinion. First of all, they need encouragement and affirmation. They need encouragement and affirmation. Encourage them when they get down, get behind, or get discouraged. Encourage them. Secondly, they need accountability. Now listen closely. They don't need an an angry football coach kind of accountability. They need a gracious, loving accountability. Hold them accountable for worship and community group attendance. Daily time in God's word and prayer and being involved in church life. First of all, you're going to need to let them know that's important. Then you're going to need to hold them accountable. And then finally, be there to answer their questions. Be there to answer their questions. In my life as a disciple maker, I can tell you this much. 
The folks I have loved discipling the most are those who are curious types. And when they read something in the Bible and they're like, wow, Rick, I've never heard anything like this in my life. What does that mean? I, oh, please tell me, please tell me, please tell me. They want to know what God is saying in his word. Be willing to go find the answers to their questions, but give them a space. Make sure they know that you're there to answer their questions. And then, then also, guide them wisely. Let me say that again. Guide them wisely. Here's the deal. When someone becomes a new believer, they oftentimes simply need you to give them guidance. Just like a teenager needs for you to sometimes to make wise decisions on their part, you need to sometimes aid them in making wise decisions as they journey forward. Um, when one of our sons was 11 or 12 years old, we had a birthday party at our home. At that point, we lived just a few blocks from Basil Griffin Park. Now, it was a Saturday night. I was going to be preaching the next morning. In the morning, the night before I preach, I always go to bed about 8 o'clock. So I was going to bed early. I said to my wife, Julie, I'm going to need to go to bed. Oh, you can't, can you take care of these 10 or so preteens? She said, why, certainly I can. Now, the next thing that I heard, um, I was dead asleep and our 15-year-old son comes in and he says, Dad, Mom, I think you guys need to deal with something. And I said, well, what's up? And he said, Lee and all his little friends are over at the park. It's about midnight. They're at the park and they're shooting off fireworks. And the policeman has come. And that policeman is going to uh, take them in uh, for going over to the park because the sign says don't go in after dark. Now, I wasn't a happy guy. I said, I'm going to kill that boy. He knew better than to take those kids over to that park. The sign specifically says it closes at dark. It specifically tells you you shouldn't be in the park. I can't, and, and, and the most ridiculous thing about that stupid kid is you're shooting fireworks 100 feet up in the air thinking nobody's going to see it. <laughs> and then Julie rolled over and she said, I send him over there to shoot off fireworks. <laughs> now, to this point, I was able to hold my tongue. But at that point, I became totally unspiritual. Now, I did the right thing. I uh, sent her over to deal with the issue. <laughs> I knew the next morning I was going to have to get up and go look at all those parents. Because here's the deal. The other part of the story is this. They sent Barney Fife. I kid you not. When he gets to the park, here's what he says. He says, every one of you kids got to call your parents, and I'll help you call them right here, and they got to come get you at this park. And I'm thinking... Oh, man, when Julie tells me a story, oh, my gosh. So every parent was called in the middle of the night. They were at their, their, they'd sent their children to their pastor's home. They thought, surely they'll be safe in my pastor's home. He won't send them out to break the law, right? So the next morning, I had to look all those people in the eye because I was preaching to them. But I took care of it. I told them it was Julie's fault and used it as a sermon illustration. These boys weren't old enough to make wise decisions. I also had a girl when I was at WKU as the Baptist campus minister who got saved on a Tuesday. She came in my office on Friday morning and she said, Rick, this is going to be the greatest party night of my life. I've never experienced anything like this in my entire being. I can't imagine. Listen, when something good happens to you, you should go party, shouldn't you? And I said, well, now, would you, before you move on, um, she knew nothing about church, nothing about Christ, nothing about Christianity. I said, before you go party, would you give me kind of a description about what you're thinking? And she said, yeah, I'm going to get so soused, I'm going to fall down on my rear end. And I said, can I talk to you? <laughs> the deal is this. It wasn't that she was being disobedient to God. She didn't know what was obedience to God. 
we need to realize that when we have a new believer, we need to journey with them and give them wise counsel. Make sure we don't accidentally send them off in a dangerous direction, but also make sure they know what is a dangerous direction. We have that responsibility. And then finally, and most importantly, we need to model the biblical Christian life for them. Let me say that again. We need to model the biblical Christian life for them. After the last service, somebody came up to me and they said, why didn't you just say model the Christian life for them? And actually, in my preparation, I was very careful to say the biblical Christian life because it's real easy if we've been brought up in a, set, in a setting where the biblical Christian life is just church attendance. That doesn't mean we're modeling the Christian life for them, really. So I was very careful. The biblical Christian life looks quite different. Now, here's the deal. The church in Corinth was known for its spiritual immaturity. Paul actually wrote in a letter to them, he said these words. I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people, listen, of the flesh, as infants in Christ. There's a difference between a spiritually mature person and a spiritually immature person. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. You were not ready for it. So he's talking about the spiritually immature. Let's establish that what Paul is saying is these people are spiritually immature he couldn't teach them what he wanted to teach them because they weren't ready for it yet. But how did he train them to live like true Christians? He also says in 1 Corinthians 11:1, 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. What he is saying is this. You don't have the opportunity to watch Jesus while he's on planet earth. His, his ascension has already taken place. But you do need a straight in your face look at someone, watch someone's life who does their best to be like Jesus. So what he's saying is so you can watch my life because I do my best to imitate the lifestyle and to teach the teachings of Jesus. So you can imitate me because I do my best to imitate Christ. Listen, if you've had children, you know that what I'm saying to you is true, that people do what they have seen done, not what they've been told they're supposed to do. It's kind of fun when you're pastoring to go into a home, and it happens pretty often, actually. You're in somebody's home, or you're with them at a restaurant or something, and they've got a, a three- or a four-year-old, and something goes on, and the child says an off-color word. And he says something, you go, oh, that was fun, because that makes them awkward because I'm in their presence, which shouldn't y'all. We've heard the words before. It's okay. We don't want to hear them, but we've heard them before. So this kid, three or four years old, says a curse word, and, you know, mommy always looks over and says, now, Johnny, you know you shouldn't say that word. And the next thing's coming for, I'm just praying it's going to happen. The next word's coming, you know, daddy says that word. We are spiritual role models. When you're worshiping, they're watching to see how to worship. When you're praying, they're listening to, to, to you to learn how to pray. When you're in conflict with a brother or sister in Christ, their eagle eyes are on you watching to see if you'll forgive or hold a grudge. When you're not in worship, they're certain it's not that important. When you bail on a community group to watch Survivor, they believe media trumps relationship within the body of Christ. They're watching your life to see how they should live their life in Christ. That's what they're doing. Now, I want you everybody just kind of take a deep breath with me for just a second. 
Because if you're like me, you're thinking, dude, there's a lot of pressure to this modeling thing. You're right. You're 100% right. I was made vividly aware of this when I was leaving Northern Kentucky University, where I was the Baptist campus minister for college students, to come to Western Kentucky University to be the campus minister for college students. At the time, there was a film out called The Dead Poets Society. Some of y'all remember The Dead Poets Society. Now, the story is about it takes place in an elite prep school for boys, and the school is stuck in its past history. Everything it does has to do with tradition. So you never break a tradition. The curriculum never changes. I mean, the old school is what lives. Everything else is outside the, the boundaries of how they function. Traditions are elevated above learning and stretching of young minds. It's one of those kind of places. And then this young teacher shows up. And he begins going outside the boundaries. And these boys start watching his life. And they begin trying to think outside the box. They begin living in a different way. They begin stretching their minds. But the old guard hates it. They just hate it. And when a tragedy strikes, the old guard blames how these children functioned, which caused the tragedy to happen. In their mind, it was because this young prof came in and started doing things differently. And that's why the tragedy struck. That's not why, but that's what they stated. So they fired the guy. And on a given day, he shows up to gather his stuff out of his desk. The students are in class with an old prof who's taken over in the interim time. And this young guy comes in to get his belongings as he leaves the school that he'd been teaching at. And as he's gathering his things and as he begins to move toward the door, you can see the boys glancing at him the way that the camera angles are just fantastic. And then one student stands on his desk and he says, Oh, Captain, my Captain. And then a second student stands on his desk looking at this guy, Oh, Captain, my Captain, just honoring this man for how he's grown them. And Oh, Captain, my Captain, the third kid. And while some are slow to move, they get courage in a few seconds and they stand, Oh, Captain, my Captain. Well, when I got ready to leave Northern Kentucky University, I was leading one of my last Bible studies. There were a group of young men in the room and as we kind of finished the study, one of them said, I'd like to say something before we leave. And he stood up and he looked at me and he said, oh, captain, my captain. Then another young man stood up and he said, oh, captain, my captain. Then the third, oh, captain, my captain. And every young man in that room, those college students, jumped and looked at me and said, oh, captain, my captain. I want to tell you, that was one of the most terrifying and one of the most encouraging moments of my life. It was terrifying because I know how flawed I am. I had lost my temper in front of some of those young men and on one occasion actually stated words that would have been considered curse words in front of them. There were times I felt horribly short of caring for the student that was struggling to be with the student that was well-known and well-liked. There was more than one occasion when I could have shared scripture with them but just gave them my opinion. I felt horribly short there's some pressure to this. But in that moment, the Lord spoke to me and reminded me of a scripture passage which set my heart at ease. It reads like this. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. That is... We are babes in Christ, then we become children in Christ. 
then we become teens in Christ, then we become adults in Christ, then we become parents in Christ. We're growing from stage to stage, from phase to phase. That's what I wanted for these young men. I wanted them to grow more and more into Christ's likeness. And I knew that I was so flawed, all I could do was my best. All I could do was my best. But what captured my heart in that moment was the last few words in that sentence. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I don't grow anyone to maturity. The Holy Spirit does that work. My job is only to create an environment and help them understand the expectations so that they can grow. Your responsibility with a new believer is not to grow them. It's just to create the right environment through which they can grow. But you do have that responsibility. Listen. Let's pray that many people come to Christ through Eastwood Baptist Church. And let's make sure that each of us, if they come to Christ under our watch, that we don't just bring the babe and tell them to be at church. But we come with them to church and sit with them at church. We take them to our community group and we're there with them in our Sunday school class so that they can be in a place where they can be in meaningful relationship. We honor them and encourage them and encourage them onto even greater movement forward than they have at present. And then we never think to ourselves, if I don't get this done, it won't happen. That's not what the scripture says. It says what you do is aid them in doing the right things, and then God does the work. I think we can all do that, can't we? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these brothers and sisters, and I thank you what you've done in their lives. Lord, as we move this service forward, I just ask you to continue to work amongst us and to be with us. We sense your presence right now. I pray that as we come to this invitation time, that we'll know you and hear you and respond to you. Father, let this be your moment, not ours. Let it be about you, not us. Because we know that you are the hero of the story. In your name, amen.